Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. All right, guys, thank you for your patience. Anthony, how are we doing with Nick online? Are you, Anthony, are you tapped in with Nick? Got you. Um, yeah, oh, go ahead and take a seat. Yeah, we should probably get our hands on some Okay, actually, we're good. Yep, we're good. Because you don't sit. Nah, nah, yeah, we're good. No, he's standing. He just he works the room. You gotta be agile. You were like, please, please. Don't let me drop it. All right, Anthony, I'm not sure if we got to hit go on the live, or is Nick got that? Chris, let me know when you're ready to rock. Sacktown, we are here. Arroyo Office Hours Live. Thank you all for coming out on this Tuesday. I can't believe we're here, guys. So round of applause for Indoor Sun Hydro for hosting us. Kev, team, appreciate you guys. It's, it's pretty wild. Like, Kev... <laughs> Tim and Kev, uh, we were just kind of talking about where this event started. It was just a group of seven of us over at Big Sexy Brewing right around the corner from here. And to see what's going on tonight, on a Tuesday night, here in Sacramento, at the Grow Store. This is wild, guys. Like, I'm, I'm incredibly humbled that all the people came out to support. I mean, you guys see the production that we're here now with. Like, there's a lot of helping hands. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that put this thing together. This is not just me, guys. I'm just, just gonna stand up here and yak around and ask great questions with experts that I look up to. So uh, thank you guys, really appreciate you. Round of applause for putting this together. Woo.
this thing's on. Are we live? Can you hear me? Oh, okay. I think we're live, man. All right, cool. Just sure. <laughs> and uh, with that being said, I would love to thank our sponsors for tonight, the Arroyo team. And before we start passing the mic for everybody to get their introductions going, obviously these guys need no introduction, but we are super grateful that everybody came out. The Arroyo team has been dumping so much knowledge in the industry. How many episodes have you guys put out on Office Hours? This is going to be episode 91. Episode 91. Wild. That's all I got to say, guys. This is just education at its finest with experts. These guys are doing it. We're, we're running it. We want to hear perspective. We want to be able to, to share good thoughts and obviously challenging questions. That's why, there's, that's why these panelists are up here, guys. We want to get, the, the, we want to get the, the challenging questions out there and ultimately just so we can focus on growing better quality weed and set those numbers with better quality. So tonight's also special because we're doing a collaboration with Grow World. And I'd like to say shout out to Nick Moran. Thank you guys for letting us actually live stream this event on Grow World platform. I don't know if you guys have heard of Grow World, but uh, it's pretty cool. It's a commercial based cultivation platform where you're a validated cultivator. You go on, you get authorized from Nick personally, and you basically get to link up with commercial product suppliers. If you want to do a trial of a specific program, that's your guy. This is the platform where you can do it. No more bullshit. No more marketing tactics. Just go in. If you want to trial, sign up, check it out. There's no better way than to actually try something and just make sure, you know, before you start going full-blown and actually getting that trial out for there. So really stoked. Thank you, guys. So brief agenda. We're going to start off with some commercial trends or some current trends in commercial cultivation. And that's going to get the conversation rocking with these guys. We've got some excellent discussion uh, topics up here that I'm sure we're going to dive into. Some current trends. Um, really excited about that. So without further ado, I would love to talk about, have Keisha talk about the actual, uh, oh, one second. I missed a slide. Look at this. Got to love live. So, Keisha, what are we giving out tonight? Yes. So, tonight we are actually hosting a raffle at the Arroyo table. Fill out a raffle ticket, get you some merch, but most important is you're going to be in the running to win an Arroyo Go or a Solas. So, we are giving one of each of those away to the live audience tonight. And then to the Grow World audience, we are giving a Solas to. It's the most upvoted question of the night, right? Excellent. Yes. So democratically chosen, the best question on Grow World will receive a solace in the mail. We're super excited about tonight. You want me to get the intro going, man? You ready to get this party started? All right. What's up, Gromies? Welcome to Office Hours, your source for free cannabis cultivation education. I will be your co-moderator, Keisha, tonight, along with Sergio. If you have any questions, you're logging into the live stream uh, or you're on live on YouTube or Instagram, be sure to drop your question in the chat. We'll do our best to get to it today. The focus, though, is going to be on the live audience, right, Sergio? So let the, let the conversation begin. Let's start off with some brief introductions. Mr. Tim Kroll, lead us off. Thanks for coming out, everybody. We, we really, really do appreciate it. Um, my name's Tim, I'm kind of a cultivator in the Sacramento area, I'm founder of Faven Under Canopy, and I'm just really happy to see everybody here and all the faces here. So thanks for coming out. Thank you, Serge. My name's Kevin Crouch. I'm the director of cultivation for Delighted. It's a double-stacked LED uh, here in SAC, um, we have 1,170 flowering lights, about 1,400 total with the veg. Um, 
Yeah, and it's, uh, it's fun. It's, uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm Seth Baumgartner. I'm with Arroyo. I've been with it for about two and a half years as an agronomic advisor. Uh, love working with the people down here in SAC. You guys are always on the cutting edge of everything. So I'm happy to be here. I'm Jason Van Leeuwen. Uh, been using substrate monitoring systems since 2017. Um, kind of jumped on with the, the company to, to get the industry going in cannabis and, and make sure that everyone's using technology to grow the best product that they can. And uh, just wanted to reiterate, I mean, Sac Sacramento is one of my most favorite places to work simply because of the people and the products that we're seeing coming out of here. So great to see everyone's faces in here today. And I'm not going to answer a single question tonight because I am not one of the crop steering and cultivation experts, but I am a consumer. And I do love Sacramento cannabis. My name is Keisha Diane McMillan. Uh, I am the senior content manager for Arroyo. So in addition to seeing you, me on office hours every week, I write a lot of the long form content that you see on the website. So I'm going to be here maintaining the conversation with Sergio. Awesome. Appreciate you guys. Round of applause for our panelists. Super dope. All right, guys. So first, first thing that we're going to use to kick off is let's talk about some current trends in commercial cultivation. Um, obviously, a lot of different perspectives are up here. So I want to kick off the obvious one with under canopy lighting. And Mr. Tim, I would love for you to lead us off with this. What do we want to know? You know, you know who actually did team me up with like the best questions Thursday was Jason because we did an Arroyo Live then and just killed it. Um, so you got any more questions for me? Do you? Uh, I, I burned up most of the good ones. <laughs> I, on I, here, let, me, let me recap a couple, a couple of these because that was a fantastic it episode you guys did. If you haven't, if you haven't it, seen it, go back and watch it. He, he nailed a, a, just a ton of the key points when it comes to applying under canopy lighting in a commercial setting. And, and a big one was what people are not improving or adding onto in their grow room, right? Because you're adding an extra element. So dehumidification, right? That was one of the things that you touched on, Jason, was like, what are some of these key things that they're missing? And if you're just slapping on more lights, and if you don't adjust your plant count, Tim, what's it happen? Yeah, so one of the, um, so I've, just a quick, quick background. I've been, I've been using under canopy lighting for almost four years now. Um, and I was a part of a company here in Sacramento Connected who um, did a lot of R&D on intercanopy and under canopy. And so, um, I was able to kind of use them and, and learn a lot about how to go about applying this, this new technology. Um, one, of the biggest, <clears throat> one of the biggest yield and quality drivers was plant count. Um, and actually seeing that lowering plant count when you're using under canopy lighting adds to your yield and it adds to your quality. And that really just comes from, from what I think is is really giving each plant its ability to function at its most um, most efficient level, right? You're giving it the space, you're giving it what it needs, you're prioritizing airflow, right? And so that was one of the biggest takeaways we had with um, with applying under canopy. And when you are, you know, using under canopy, you're going to have a greater demand on your plants, right? You're going to need to feed them a little more and water them a little more. Well, that's going to lead to a little more humidity in your rooms, right? So if they're, if they're using it in the substrate, they're transpiring, right? They're adding humidity at a higher rate. So lowering plant count is actually a really easy and cost-effective way to, to kind of mitigate that extra humidity. Um, and it also, like, I think every grow facility owner or cultivator wants to hear less plant count because 
that means less moms, that's less substrate, that's less clones, that's less, I mean, it's less everything, right? So um, that was one of the biggest drivers and it's hard to quantify, you know, that savings alone, right? When you, when you start taking plants out of rooms, like there's a savings there. Um, so yeah, that was probably one of the biggest, cause I, I was thinking shove the plants in there and get more, you know, I, I've been growing for 15 years now. I mean, it was always like, we have to have this many plants cause then we can guarantee we're gonna get two ounces of plant and we're gonna have this yield. And it really like, it's really hard to be there. It's really hard, it's a hard position to be in, but just try it with one bench. Like I tell everybody, try one bench and then you'll understand. It's, it, it's a great conversation when you start looking at hard costs versus soft costs. Soft cost reduction is something that it's hard to measure. And so until you start really looking at these extra touch points, the extra time, the extra amount of labor that it takes to do these things to produce with that much more plant material, I mean, it's, that's what's so, that's my curiosity is how much more efficiency are you saving and, and is it being quantified? Well, I think when you start to look at the finished product, yes, it's quantifiable. So reduction of soft costs is something that I'm really starting to see more of with, you know, adding supplemental lighting down below. To continue on this one, I was just, uh, you know, always try to take the audience perspective on a, on a question here. And, uh, and so how much, you know, how much do I want to change that planting density? Let's say I want to take the first step to doing that. What, uh, what is that first step and how do I know when I've optimized it for each plant or each strain even better? Every facility is different, Jason. No, that's, <laughs> that's why I'm asking the question. I know, I know. Um, In so, my facility. So, man, um, it's been extremely difficult to kind of um, frame up very basic SOPs to kind of put on our website and, and give to customers because everything is so different. And some people are already at these low plant counts, right? So, um, I think... <laughs> I think if you're, if you're around the nine-ish plants per four by four, it's a good place to start. And then you may move a few plants up from that and you may move a few, plant, a few plants down. You know, I think it's a really good place to start as a baseline um, if you're looking to change everything on your, first, on your first run and your first trial. But I do tell people that, you know, if you don't wanna change anything and just change under canopy for your first run and just see how your facility changes and how that movement and that like just that one variable changes everything then it's it's probably a good place to start if you want to drop a little plant count i understand that too what i would recommend is going three plants wide right like so if you're on a five foot wide bench i can see you pushing a fourth plant wide that's fine if you're on a four foot bench and you're trying to slam four plants wide in there you are you're really just choking out your plants even without under canopy but um, local guy here in Sacramento, four foot wide benches, was running four plants across, and I just kind of pleaded with him on his first bench, like, please just drop the, the fourth row down to three rows, two rows of favens in between those rows, and they dropped their plant count 25%, and they saw a 33% increase in yield, right, with massive quality, like great quality. This isn't something with faven is like, we're not, there, there's been so much put into the design of the light and the lens of the light and how it's a, a being applied to the, the plant that you're getting this extra yield and you're not sacrificing the quality. And that's, we all know, you can't just boof out five pounds of light right now. It's not gonna sell, you know, so has to come with it. Yes, great question. That was a good question. And I wanna encourage the audience if there's any other questions <laughs> to tack on any of these, any of these questions. Yeah. Anybody at the moment have a question? It's cool. We're just warming up. 
We'll keep it going. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll kick in here. Don't be shy, everybody. All right, so let's, let's modify our plant spacing a little bit. We're, you know, we're working to optimize that. I, uh, you know, a, a lot of facilities, and I'm not trying to go into the next topic here, but one of, the, one of the trends that I have seen with plant spacing is people starting to uh, stagger their columns, right? So rather than having a perfect row column segment, we're, we're staggering like the middle column, right? And if we think of that visually, obviously we're getting a little bit more uh, optimized circle if we think of a plant as being um, sphere, spherical or round in a top, top down. Um, what do you think about that? Um, I actually am a big fan. Of, I call it the zipper. It just looks, you know, like you got the plant one, like you got them, you know, kind of filling the space that the other two don't. And it just seems like a zipper to me. So I call it the zipper method. Um, this is totally bro science. Um, <laughs> you can't kick the traditional roots out of me. I'm so sorry. Um, I actually really like that. I really like that. And I think it gives plants... Um, a lot of just extra area to breathe and you're only dropping one plant right so you're taking say you've got rows of 20 plants down a you know 40 foot row whatever it is um that middle row three three plants wide that middle row has got 19 plants right that's what we're explaining here and i really like that application just because it does kind of open up a little more space for each plant to kind of hit its optimization like i actually really really love that plant count um, and I love that that design. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, I haven't tried it on double stacks, actually. But I do like the zipper method um, for especially people growing. If you're in like a, gosh, if you're in like a one-gallon quick fill full cocoa and your plants are getting big, like I, I'm a huge fan of doing the zipper method. Yeah. I think one thing we can definitely all agree on, though, is, you know, for a lot of, a lot of times or a lot of time over the years, we all thought, you know, maybe running more plants, more product, right? And there's definitely an upper limit of that. And going back to like nine to 12 per four by four, I'll agree, I, pretty much everyone I talk to that tries that immediately has better success on their A to B ratio. And a lot of times an overall yield increase. Um, you say you staggered a little bit per plant, but once you really start to dial in the whole process, so for a lot of people that begins in their flower room, you know, we're all focused on that, that's where the money's made, but once you feel like that's dialed and you really start to dig into veg and prop, it's kind of amazing how much plant you can get out of such a small plant at flip, and I think that was something, you know, <clears throat> once I started experimenting with a lot of different irrigation strategies and then dialing things in the facility I was at, realized like, hey, we thought we needed to veg these things for so long and get this big plant, like, no, this thing grows like crazy. We just gotta take advantage of it. And, and to that point, there's, um, we, talk, um, we talk velocity, right? Growth velocity a lot, right? So like if you put a plant in a pot, you give it a couple days, you veg it. Well, there's a certain point in a, vet, in, in a plant's life where it's got so much growth velocity up top and in the substrate, the roots are going that like, if you flip that plant when it's at maximum velocity, it will get to the same height as you, if you over veg it. Like there is, there's something, there's something there where like, especially double stacks and I'll, I'll use double stacks because you're you're at a, a height limit so as soon as i see that plant that that growth velocity day on day that's when i'm flipping like i'm catching that plant in stride and i think there's a lot to that um and then even on the single tiers you know people are running some really big plants and i i love big plant tech like i'm a big plant guy like that's my favorite um but do some trials do you know flip a row that's you know 12 inches tall and 16 inches tall and 18 inches tall and just just control the, that variable of like 
flip height, and I think you guys will see that you'll end up at the same place, and you can cut some days off your veg. Could, could we also touch on genetics? Like, just know your genetics, please. If it's a yeah. 1X, 2X, 3X stretcher, if it's a glitter bomb, <laughs> flipper. If it's a glitter day. bomb, <laughs> yeah, or to see. I was going to speak to that too. Uh, we do a lot of genetics, a big variety, and and exactly your uh, the veg acceleration can differ depending on your genetics. So sometimes you can kind of counter that with your plant count. It's what we do. Um, so some, some things that take a little longer to take off, maybe you do it a little higher plant count, and that's what we do. And uh, that higher plant count will allow it to actually naturally stretch into the box because every plant's getting a little less oxen. They're, they're, they're wanting to stretch up so you can get them to fill that box a little bit better. So <clears throat> I think genetic and genetic potential plays a big part in, you know, that... That, that veg acceleration and how you choose your plant count too, but generally, um, you know, the, 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 the lower plant count, more light to each plant is, yeah. is the way, especially with under, under canopy lighting. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Got a question? All right, Nick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap into you real quick here. We're gonna get a question from Grow World. Question is, can the under canopy lights be daisy chained? If yes, how many on a 277 volt? Uh, 20 on 277 volt. Um, and I wanna say 17 on 240 volt and 10 on a 120 volt. At 277, they're only pulling 0.4 amps. So very, very user friendly. We tried to make it you know, cost effective because we know there's an upfront electrical cost with installing these. And so we tried to get as many to daisy chain as possible with maintaining the, the quality of light coming out of the units. So 20 is that answer. Good question though. You can find this all on favenlighting.com. Nice. Yes, question back here. How many watts per four by four or four by eight would you recommend with under canopy lighting and what height would you set it at on, in the canopy? So per four by four, you're, the way we design the Faven lights is, is um, we put an optic lens on the top of it, right? And so with diodes, um, if you're running LEDs, you understand every diode is very intense, and as soon as you're outside that diode, it's not intense at all, right? There's no light. So we created this lens that actually kind of channeled that energy and threw the light. So we did that because running three lights wide is, is one, a strain on power, two, it's a lot on the plants. Like, so we run two lights wide on a bench, um, so on a four by four, you're looking at two plants, right? Typical four, four by eight tray back in the day, you're looking at four lights. Um, as for the height, you're looking to add about two feet of canopy depth, two to three feet of canopy depth with an under canopy light, right? So if you're on double stack, we have them, the lowest you want to set the, that, this light is you want the base of the light at the very edge of the plant or the, at the very top of the substrate. Right? You don't want to blast the substrate with light at all. Right? You don't want to heat up the substrate. But if you grow bigger plants like we've been kind of talking about, you kind of want to edge those up a little higher. Um, the best, I think one of the best um, examples I have of like really big plant tech is if you guys are following Bear Cannabis on Instagram, which you should if you're not, he's a killer. Um, he's actually got his favens like 14 inches off the table because he grows five foot plants, you know? So, and he underclears under them, right? But he's just got such a big 
voluminous plant that he has to raise it up a little more. Now on our double stacks, we've got them like pinned at the very lowest we can because we're trying to optimize every little bit. Um, so yeah, but two good questions. Uh, one more. Uh, yeah. Is there a particular time you turn the under canopy on or does it start from the day you go to 1212? Man, you just, my FAQ is just like, that was, this is perfect teeing up. I, this is great, thank you. Um, so <clears throat> I don't like doing anything zero to 100 in cultivation. I think that's not the way to treat the plant, right? Um, so when, back in the day when we did these side-by-sides, whether to turn the lights on 100% at a certain day of flower or to slowly ramp them up, um, we saw slowly ramping them up not only alleviates any plant stress you're going to have, added plant stress from under canopy, and then also the yield was very comparable if you between the two, but turning lights on day one at a low intensity and letting them and increasing them by day like 17, 18, 20, end of week three is like your real goal. Um, we saw a two to four percent increase in yield compared to the row that turned on like day 14 or 15 at 100%, right? right? And so it doesn't seem like much, but I think we all know in this room, if you're a cultivator, two to 4% on every room, every turn and every, in your facility, that adds up at the end of the year. And that's strictly to your bottom line. That's just how you apply the technology. It's not adding any more costs, so, but yeah. Good question. One more question. Please. Is there a particular spectrum that uh, uh, you found works better one another, a Calvin or a you know, redder, bluer, that's working for your under canopy as opposed? So um, Calvin is a, uh, is a metric that doesn't really apply to plants. Um, and I've had this conversation recently because people are putting out false information. Um, it really applies to like the lighting in your house, right? Like if you want it bright or warm or whatever vibe you want in your home. Um, and so with HPS, we designed a spectrum that kind of brought in a little more blues and greens um, with some 660s and some 680 that kind of rounds out the far red spectrum of like an HPS bulb. But really it's, it's more going backwards and looking at the old metal halide and HPS rooms that were just, just really dank and just really, really high quality bud. Um, and so adding a little more of that blue spectrum was really important to me. Um, and then if, you know, there's a couple of people in this room that I know that are running mixed spectrum HPS and full spectrum LEDs, and those rooms are coming out incredible. And so that was kind of the thought process behind the HPS spectrum. Yeah. And then full spectrum LED, um, I just feel like a lot of manufacturers went full on to full spectrum and white diodes and, and that, you know, most big manufacturers are about 40% red diodes. And, and really, if you're looking at the difference between quality of LED cannabis and quality of HPS cannabis, it comes down to like the spectrum, right? So, so what we did is kind of round out the, or um, added to the lack of red for full spectrum. And so we have a very red, very high in, you know, deep reds, trying to really like balance out the lack of, of, of that spectrum, you know, underneath the, the LEDs. Killer. Good questions. questions. Thank you. I swear he's on the FAQ right now on our, on our website. That was awesome. Thank you. Any good questions back here? Keep Jason at bay. <laughs> right here. Name and word from sir. Uh, Vinny, I just moved to Sacramento. Oh, for sure. Do you guys have any suggestions for like IPM, like early flower sprays and using the under canopies? Um... 
Yeah, did you have any issues when you were applying? No. So they're IP66 rated, like they're meant, like these are designed for the, the rigors of commercial cultivation. Like it's really, it's kind of how Faven was born. I was kind of pissed off at everything else on the market that, that wasn't a true under canopy light. Um, and so it's IP66 rated. Um, you shouldn't have any issues. If you want to go in there after and wipe down, like I'm a big sulfur guy early in flower, right? I think everybody is, yeah. right? Sulfur is kind of our buddy at the moment. Um, makes us feel good. Um, I just go in there with a damp cloth and just wipe down the lights if you want to, you know, it's, um, I would do that after, you know, every spray, you know, at least definitely your final spray, like your day, like 13, 14 final spray. Um, but you won't have any issues with it. It's, uh, they were designed to handle it. For sure. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And um, sorry for the interruption, guys. I'm going to just make a quick announcement. The food truck's leaving at 8 o'clock. So just want to be mindful if anybody didn't get a chance to grab some food. Um, you got until 8. Sorry. Thank you, guys. Other question? Name and where you're from, sir. Hey, Jacob Nelson uh, here in Sacramento, North Country Farms. Uh, so I guess this is more for the Arroyo team, uh, Tim, also. Uh, what uh, principles do you need to keep on the forefront of your mind when applying under canopy lighting into your grill when incorporating it? I mean, I think there's a few things to keep in mind. Number one is can you afford it at the moment, right? Like part of it is like a smart implementation. Always try, you know, just as Tim said, try it out, see how you like it, do some comparable research and see if, you know, try to minimize it to that variable to start with and see if it's going to be effective for you. And then another one is uh, what you're doing is you're adding more energy in a spectrum deeper down in, right? We're really trying to maximize where that spectrum's at in, on the plant and maximize the growing space that's within it. So if we're talking about where's your money better spent, is it better spent adding more square footage of lighting and growing space, or is it better spent in maximizing the space you have? And in some, in some situations, uh, well, if you're going out of business and you need to move somewhere cheaper, that might be something you <laughs> try to go cheaper and get more square footage might be better for you. If you're already at the limit of everything else and you've got the power availability, um, I think it's great to try. But, you know, realize that it comes at a cost, just like everyone going from HPS to LED, not only do we have the spectrum working for us, but that plant temp. So, you know, right immediately going to LED, harder to control humidity, uh, harder to get that diff late in flower. You know, those weren't always like the first things that jumped out when going to LEDs because they seemed more efficient, everything else seemed great. But now there's these other challenges that mean like, oh, we didn't just knock our electric bill down. There's a balance where we're spending more on DHU, more on environmental control, and then also later down the line, potentially more on different types of supplemental lighting, just like the mix LED and HPS rooms we're seeing, or manufacturers coming out with more far red spectrum, trying to imitate that HPS spectrum because you know, going back to it, we all generally like the results we got. And I know for myself, you know, now growing exclusively under LED, miss HPS, because I had some, some benefits that just Say made it. life easier, right? You know, but that's just not the way the market's going and probably not what we can expect from the future. So I think try it out. And like I said, it really, there's like anything in your farm, you need to do an ROI analysis and see like, hey, what is this? What's it gonna take to pay it off? And can I do that right now? And if you can and you have a budget, this is probably one of the more effective ways to look at like, you know, for one, just changing that ratio of A to B buds. That's a big thing for all of us trying to look for that purple nug is 
you know, immediately you go to the LEDs, you get a pretty shallow bit of canopy that's purple, and then you've got now your bee that's all green still. And just that alone, for better or for worse, is valuable in the market. You know, we're, we're at a point now where on certain strains, if we're looking at a two to $300 premium per pound based on how dark purple you can get it, you can take a yield hit at that point at a whole room rate and, you know, really push what your goals are on that strain. And then, you know, on the backside, it's obviously good for your brand when you're hitting those goals reliably, not struggling to maintain that supply of like really consistent flour. Yeah, and I think what we talked about last Thursday as well is, uh, you know, if we're seeing an increased amount of transpiration from the plants because we have more light in the room, obviously we're gonna have to increase our irrigation demands. Um, and, and that is at the same EC as we were before we increase the irrigation demands. So you, you might have a little extra nutrients on hands and make sure that your irrigation system, your fertigation system can handle, what would you say, you said like up to 20% possible increase in, in irrigation volumes. So. Um, water volume, 10 to 15%, and then EC is, we see more of a, um, a positive increasing EC when you introduce favens to HPS rooms. Right, because it's, you're introducing LED into an HPS, an existing HPS room. When you're adding it to an existing LED room, we're not really seeing that demand need, I guess you could say. Um, but again, every facility is different. But yeah, all good points. And your, your main constraint here is just power. Do you have the power? You know, Because the ROI is about one run. It's, it's, it, under Canopy is, is equivalent to Arroyo dropping the Taros 12 a couple of years ago and how revolutionary that was for cultivation. Like this is here to stay, it's not a gimmick, it's, it is absolutely revolutionary. And it's gonna, the sooner you get on board, it, the, the, the better the prices will be in the meantime. Because <laughs> under canopy lighting will be one of the catalysts that leads to the next leg down in the market. Like that is the next price down, which will come eventually. Don't get too comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's coming with or without under canopy, but under canopy will help the catalyst. If I can add something to something I saw in our <clears throat> our setup was, um, and I talked to Tim about it. It was a more balanced VPD in the on the whole plant. Um, you know, normally with top light, you might have a little a little warmer surface <clears throat> leaf surface temp, and it gets colder as you go down the plant. When you under light it, and that warmth kind of comes up, you have the whole plant's a little more balanced. So you have a whole plant transpiration, which is not what you normally see with a top lit. So I think that's something that's a real benefit. Yeah, and Kevin, uh, I was explaining it to Kevin, and then Kevin's like, dude, you're explaining it all wrong. <laughs> He's like, you need to talk in VPD, because I was talking in sources and sinks and da 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 da. And it, w what really comes down to it is, um, is there's no microclimate under there, right? We, we manage our VPD a foot off canopy, but like we don't manage underneath, right? So we're creating kind of this more even temperature throughout the plant, more even, you know, VPD. Um, and it really just makes the plant's efficiency increase. Um, a lot of times I get calls and it'll be like week five or six of people who haven't run under canopy yet. And they're like, one, my room is so terpy, like this is crazy, like there's a huge difference already. But two, they're like, why does my weed already look better? And I, I really just think it has something to do with the more even VPD throughout the plant. Like the entire plant does better. The tops look better, even though that light's not getting there, like, like exactly, you know, I'm sorry, directly getting there. Um, it's having a big impact on the entirety of the plant. 
and it also, you would think that it wouldn't be as purple because it's warmer down there, yeah. but it's quite the opposite. Oh, yeah. It's uh, so. Yeah, there's no gradient. Nope. No, it's uh, color, color uniformity. We all need purple to, to stay in business, even myself. Like we all have to have color to stay in business. Uh, density, maturity, um, the hashers in the room, the rosin guys in the room. We all know what mature nugs and mature trichomes do, right? Though that actually adds that adds to your percentage of yield coming off when you do hash. Um, so you're looking at an entire plant that's a bud. You know, it's going to put off that 90U, whatever you're looking for. And I don't think I told you too. We ran an 80 and a 120 side by side, and even the the 120 was more noticeable purple than the 80, and uh, had a slightly warmer. We were at about a three degree temperature temperature difference between no under canopy and the 120, and it was about a two degree with the 80. Uh, and then this is at the lower level of the plant. Yeah. And uh, Kevin, a question about your nutrient program. Are you removing nitrogen at the end of week six or seven? Where yes. You are? Okay. Yep. Thank you. I'm going to look to the crowd here. What challenges are you guys having if you're crop steering with any sensors or anything that you're currently up against? Any current opportunities that we can pick the brains of these guys on? Sergio, can I... Can I ask actually a common question that we get? Yes, and, uh, it, was, it was submitted a couple of weeks ago. We just haven't gotten to it because we have so many live questions, but this is a common one we get a lot. Um, are you able to get an estimate of your substrate EC by runoff readings? So that relationship between EC and runoff, putting that to the panel. Yeah, you can get an estimate. Um, how good your estimate is? Well, you're gonna have to estimate how good that estimate is. Um, so <laughs> it's going to depend on a lot of factors. Um, it, you know, if you've got no other ways to do it, it's way better to work off some information. I mean, if your runoff you see is way too high or way too low, you, you know that you got to dig into it and make some changes. Um, so it's one of those things where, like, when people first start using substrate sensors, I always recommend they continue the practices of looking at their runoff EC. And I, I do this because that, those are the numbers they're used to working off of. Um, and as they start to understand that, well, the EC in the substrate is what the plant is actually feeling. So this is the most important thing. So this is, we're reading directly what the plant is interacting with. Um, but they'll get an idea of, all right, well, okay, what is, what is that estimate like, right? And, and I usually see in, uh, my substrate EC being you know, one EC higher or two EC higher than my runoff EC or vice versa. And they can start to kind of get an idea of, all right, well, now, now, now that I can work off of what my EC is usually in my runoff, then they start to do that with the substrate EC. So, you know, we're thinking about, all right, here's what I'm used to seeing as far as runoff goes. And then this is what I'm understanding for substrate ECs and, and start to kind of recalibrate themselves to the numbers that are coming from the substrate. <clears throat> yeah, I think the first place to start there for me usually is making sure that I'm hydrating my media properly and getting a good runoff reading. If I'm putting water on really quickly just to try to get some liquid to go through the media, I'm not letting that homogenize in the substrate and I'm not letting uh, any pH buffering happen, any real nutrient exchange. So everything's just channeling through at that point. So it's gonna be you know, more representative of my feed than what's in the EC of the block. So as long as I know that, um, I can start to be accurate. And then also, down the line, even after you're using you know, substrate sensors, it's still good to check because from a remote sense, when you're trying to manage a huge population of plants over many thousands of square feet, um, 
sometimes you have to rely on getting this data to draw conclusions. You can't go look at every single runoff test yourself and go watch every single P1 watering and make sure, hey, we did hit full hydration, we hit saturation, and then we got runoff. We didn't get any early, or hey, we got some early on half of our plants. This, you know, I can't pull it from the table. There's all these little logistics to it, but once you establish those numbers that you should be seeing, when you see deviation from that, either way, if it's building, you can start to look into, hey, we're getting very little runoff perhaps, or what's going on there, or if you're seeing it just drop dramatically, there's probably a good chance you're pushing like, you know, some pretty big shots, you're getting channeling, and that's not really giving you a good picture at that point of what's going on. So all data points are great, and uh, it's another one of those things that you want to corroborate with different tools and start to find out like, hey, what are more and more signs of when things are starting to go south with either my irrigation or substrate health, and when do I need to start to take action? I, gotta, I want to pick your brain on low flow drip emitters. 0.3s, 0.5s, when does it make sense to have two? When does it make sense to have more? Should you have more? Just talk to us about that. Uh, I like 0.3s. Um, I like having at least two per substrate. Um, and really the thinking there is, is it's been pretty well published by most of, specifically maybe the one that's most popular right here in this, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, long-standing substrate manufacturers that say, hey, if we have you know, less drip rate in there, then it's going to be a better homogenized uh, substrate as far as water contents go. Um, you know, and with, I've, I've used this, um, this simile many, many a times on the show, and that is if I think of a dry sponge, a uh, kitchen sponge, you know, and I, I put it under um, a faucet that is running fairly quickly, uh, you know, a lot of times there's going to be water dripping through the bottom of that sponge before the edges are even uh, soaked, even before they're wet. Uh, the substrate's not a lot different than that as far as, you know, in theory what's going on there. Now, if I've got the sink just dripping, um, that, sun, that sponge is going to become completely soaked before it starts running off through there. And so if our flow rate is too high, one of the things that we can do is, we'll, or one of the things we'll see is um, irrigation channeling. Uh, so you, you'll get areas in that substrate that are more wet. Um, and then you can also start to, you know, those channels will have a waste of nutrients, a waste of water, right? We want, we want that to all go into the substrate, and we want the substrate to be as consistent as possible. One, because that's how the plant can use the most of it, and the more consistent pretty much anything is in a facility, the easier it is going to be to manage as well. Thank you. Any other questions back here? Right back this way. Name and where you're from, sir. Uh, Evan, ECM, actually based out of Arizona. With What's your guys' communication, are you guys ever going to open source that for your environmental that, has, that talks back with BMS systems and BAS systems? Uh, sorry, I was having a little bit of a hard time hearing it. You, as far as the... Yeah, so I've worked with a lot of people in this industry that base everything off of what Arroyo goes off of. But your communication back on your changeover values is different from what actual BMS systems and BAS systems use. You guys smooth out your guys' data a little bit different if you go from the live one to your actual graph. And ah. so you'll get that run out of your your systems and AC systems, and that's where a lot of the environmental impact comes into play. So Great. I'm wondering if you're ever gonna open source that so that everybody can tap in like pretty much every other system in the world. 
Great question. I love this because I help quite a few clients implement our um, our uh, open API. Uh, so we've had the open API on the market for, uh, I think, well over a year and a half now. And uh, what the open API is, basically, it's just a REST API. So you can write a little bit of code and call our API to provide raw sensor data to whatever system that you want. Um, so, you know, whether that means that you have to have a little bit of a translator um, between uh, the JSON file format that's coming out of there into whatever BMS protocol that you'd like, um, you know, that, that is up to our clients, engineers. Um, sometimes they do it themselves because they're super creative and they love doing that stuff. Uh, even better than that, we are working on some integrations with popular controllers. Um, some of that's in... Uh, Oddbus, some of that's in a couple other formats. So that the, the thing is in the roadmap, and in the meantime, you do have that open API. Um, you know, however, for making some environmental controls, uh, as like making those control decisions, I, I would use some caution because the uh, climate stations that we have currently are on three-minute reporting intervals, um, and in my opinion, in Many of HVAC situations, that's not quite quick enough in order to operate HVAC equipment as efficiently as possible. Um, the value that, that I put in there is that it's a you know exceptionally reliable and accurate sensor that you can write some checks with. So, uh, not money checks. I wish it was writing me checks. Uh, but uh, like what I'm talking about, what I'm meaning with that is uh, with like a BMS system. Um, and it's different depending on what system you're using. If you're using Simmons, if you're using like an Opto 22 that's open source, um, any of that type of stuff. Like you know, Opto 22 would be pretty easy. What you do is say, all right, like, let's compare the values coming out of my Atmos 14 from the Arroyo API with the directly connected sensor. All right, so say so every three minutes we run a check between those two, and if they agree within five percent, let's keep operating. Now, if they disagree or they're more than 5% off, then let's throw a flag. Let's send a message and say, hey, well, you know, there's something going on in the room that's, that's making this sensor malfunction, right? So it's like checking your equipment, right? Um, that's, that's one of the really good things that you can do. And an, another thing that you can do is make irrigation, um, automated irrigation decisions. Uh, so obviously the irrigation data every three minutes is usually fast enough to start to automate things like that. So love that question. And uh, if you want to know more about the API, Love to, love to get you going on it. You hit a sweet spot with the API, man. Good, good. Any other questions on that? Hey, Sergio. Yes. We got a question in on YouTube that I'd love to ask the panel. Can I, can I do it? Let's hear it. All right. This one came in from one of our regular viewers, Iron Armor. I love this question. They write, everybody likes to talk about their good harvest, but what to consider after having a bad harvest? How bad, man. You didn't grow candies. Did the room catch Everything. on fire? <laughs> Do you have any notes, pictures? Look back at your phone. Every time, okay, not every time. Let me, let me restart. What's your baseline, right? Like, it's so easy to get away from your baseline, especially in a world where you can when you can consume so much knowledge, right? There is so much education on Instagram or YouTube and it can be like, oh, I'm gonna tweak this one thing, it's gonna be better, I'm gonna tweak this and I'm gonna tweak this. Well, now you're three moves away from your baseline, okay? You need to make sure your baseline is written down. I don't care if it's on an Excel spreadsheet or it's in a janky little notebook. I do the janky little notebook still, I'm sorry. Napkin. 
Napkin, good one. I'm a janky notebooker. I'm sorry. I have some, <laughs> I have some, some notebooks that are just worth the, more than gold to me right now. <laughs> like that, that I go back on when I when I do find myself after having a few bad runs, um, and more often than not, it comes down to something small you changed and you just didn't see what was going to happen down the road. Um, so getting back to your baseline, getting back to your ABCs of irrigate it when it's need, when it needs more water, you irrigate it again. Like it's get, go back to as basic as possible and rebuild. And that may sound like it's going to take a long time, especially if you're a home grower, you have two lights, one light, that's going to take you a while in commercial that only takes you a couple weeks, right? We've got rooms dropping once a week, twice a week. You know, so you can get back to that baseline very quickly. Um, but I myself, even, you know, with the experience I have, I still I actually just kind of pulled out of one of these like down slumps and I'm like really feeling myself on the way back up right now. Um, and it really came down to stupid, <laughs> stupid mistakes that like we got away from the baseline. Right. And um, so, yeah, find your baseline, write it down. That is everything. And then only deviate one variable from there, is what I would say. Yeah, in my experience, usually the worst things happen when we got too comfortable and uh, stopped taking notes and trying to organize that. So then when it hit, it was such a project to go back and figure it out. That, that was all we could do is go back to baseline and then just go, okay, we have to be, probably just pay as much attention to detail as possible. And sometimes maybe we messed up bad enough that a, you know, a series of things cause a disaster, so we can't, you know, all we can pinpoint back to is like, hey, we got too comfortable. Generally, that's, like I said, that's been my biggest problem in the past. Especially, unfortunately, like if you have a core awesome group of people who have been working together forever, uh, you all trust each other sometimes maybe too much. <laughs> and then, you know, just sometimes a small slip up will really hurt things. Yeah. And we've all been there. Like yeah. everybody in this room has been there. Like it's, it's a very terrible place to be when you don't feel like you're, you know, if, if you've been in it long enough, like your plant health is tied to your self-worth and it's not healthy, but it's real. It's super real. Um, so just take care of yourself. Make sure, you know, you're not a terrible grower ever. Like I, I found a lot of success 10 years ago when I stopped jumping on the forums, because that's all we had 10 years ago was the forums. I stopped looking at forums and I got better because I started looking at the plant. And I feel like today that's, those forums are on hyperdrive, on Instagram <laughs> scrolling, and you just have so much information being thrown at you. So like just go on an information freeze and get back to basics. Like that's, yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to reiterate that. Like, you know, don't beat yourself up. Um, yeah. And, unless you don't put the work in to figure out what your mistake was. Uh, if you put the work in to figure out your mistake, it was a learning opportunity. And yeah, it probably cost you, but now you know how to avoid that next time. Um, and, and what maybe it's something in your facility you need to upgrade so that it can be more reliable, your, your life can be more stable. Uh, maybe it's you know, a decision that you made that you know you probably won't make again. I also add uh, as much built-in redundancy as you can so, you know, checks and balances. Um, uh, every night I have timers going off. All, I'm watering. I have I'm always checking something, and, you know, you just double check. Uh, whatever it is, you know, if you're, you're, you're watering your climate, you're dimming lights, raising lights, and, um, 
You know, so you just always have, you know, either be yourself or have somebody else double check your, your you know, what you do. That's nutrients, climate, irrigation, redundancy, for sure. Yeah, let's, let's see, raise your hand if you accidentally did AM instead of PM one time. <laughs> Sometimes Open Sprinkler will do this thing where, like, I'll, like, I'll, like, want to drop one minute off and I'll go hit the down and all of a sudden it, like, goes up, like, for like forever and like just like it's a glitch and it's like it, I don't think it's even open sprinkler I think it's my freaking computer <laughs> but it'll do it every once in a while one time I saved it and I got a call from my buddy he's like dude you've been irrigating for five hours like what are you doing and I was like what do you what do you mean he's like yeah bro you have it programmed at this and I'm like oh damn that's me you know so like Kevin said double check everything like I love open sprinkler it's a great platform but man I yeah Anyway, double check. Well, that's kind of one of the beauties of getting into commercial cultivation. You crank so many crops through. Everyone's a learning experience. And one of the things you definitely learn is people and machines both break yeah. at certain points. You know, There's going to be problems here and there. Like You're never going to... Achieving perfection doesn't happen. Like When you see you know, the most perfect picture, yeah. there's always at least one plant in that room that that grower is like not stoked compared to the rest, right? And it's painful because you pour everything into it and then you have to watch it after you hurt the plant because yeah. it doesn't get better yeah. and just remind yourself. But that's why just, you know, really doubling down on SOPs and getting that data collection in is huge because I always tell people, like, I couldn't tell you how many pictures I have that's just one really messed up looking plant yeah. with a white wall in the background and some yellow light on it <laughs> and a date. And I'm like, ooh, that could be so many things. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I need I need a little more. Like I remember kind of what was going on, but like yeah. pulling out the particulars is hard. Write it down. I I, th I think one of probably the most disappointing um, crops that I was part of was uh, not great note taking. Obviously, something that happened in the process that w was goofed up, and uh, absolutely beautiful plants. Um, they just weren't the plants that the label was. Uh. That's a good one. Which kind of leads me to my other thought of checking your mother stock, right? <laughs> Did you have a bad run because your clone sucked? What happened? Did you, you know, maybe those moms are tired. Did you pathogen test to restart? Like, giving yourself the clean, healthy start that you want all starts in your mom room. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's I always say you want to put money in your flower room right away. And then the next thing's like, all right, how do I increase this uniformity? And eventually you always chase it back yep. to the moms. You've got to have fresh, healthy clones. You really can't keep moms for very long. And uh, I always envision it like I've kind of got this little business inside my business that exists to feed my business the products it needs to work. But really, that has to be a really dedicated process that you can't slip up on because, you know, you're, we're all hitting a point where days matter. You know, any day that you're extending production cycle at all or you're spacing out in between, you're losing money. You have a cost of operation per square foot that you're down every day that a plant's not growing in there. And... Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes it ends up costing more and taking a little more on the mom's side to keep that fresh supply of clones going. And then, you know, as we're hitting an era where we're seeing, you know, more sharing of genetics, which has led to more disease proliferation, you know, like HLV coming into facilities, all right, if I've got, you know, 20,000 square feet and it's four rooms, but I can't afford to shut the whole place down and nuke it out, I've got to have a different solution, which nowadays is, you know, trying to bring in fresh clones that have gone through tissue culture generally, been cleaned up and brought back. But, okay, now that's a step you've got to take, and that's just where we're going with some of these things. 
I'd love to take a question back to the platforms. Keisha, do you want to bring me back to YouTube? Yeah, I got another one here uh, on the topic of moms, actually. Tips for growing moms in one-gallon pots. Could you cover irrigation to steer vegetative? A lot of them. I, I, I guess, you know, let, let's think about how, how big a mom they want to be growing there. Um, and let's convert that into some mathematics that we can just simply break down, right? So what, on a typical flowering plant, like a five-foot, six-foot plant, I'll usually see like a half gallon of water transpiration a day, right? So let's say we're growing six-foot mom, right? And we've got lights on a little bit longer, maybe not quite as much... Um, not quite as much that's going into that plant. Let's let say 0.5 gallons a day. If we're in a six-foot mom, maybe a little bit more than that just because we usually have a lot of vegetation on there. Um, so let's, let's run P2s, you know, lots of P2s, and let's try and make sure that we get like 0.6 gallons into there. Um, and really what's going to happen is start running some substrate sensors in that mom or and just outline what it's going to take, right? If we've got an 18-6 irrigation or a light cycle with that, then you know we might need to be on probably a 16-hour irrigation window, um, and really that's not going to be bad. So you know, it might be something where we're irrigating you know, 32 times a day, um, and let's just divide up 0.6 gallons by 32, and hopefully we've got uh, you know 10% runoff on there. If you need more runoff to stabilize the substrate. Let's just boost those irrigation sizes a little bit. Yeah, you really just gotta look at your moms as an individual crop almost. Like if you can have the same generations of moms on the same valve and then try to match your irrigations as best you can, that's gonna make life a lot easier. And then, yeah, really realizing how big you wanna get. You know, usually we're looking at taking moms out to three months at the very max. That's not that many cuttings. So, water them a lot. And also, you know, <clears throat> Running a low EC, if you're flushing your moms back up to 3.0 every day, that's okay. Um, I think one of maybe the toughest things there is just staying on top of it in the one gallon. So depending on some people's cloning needs, you know, we're looking at maybe a little more comfort and up to a three gallon just because it simplifies life. They can put some huge irrigations on every day. Hey, we got runoff. We're good to go. That supports our needs. In situations where you've got a lot bigger flower space we're trying to supply with a smaller mom space or veg space, trying to crank them through a lot faster so we've got a lot more aggressive program with a lot more moms. It's like everything we do that's, you know, not the perfect way. There's always a, a, uh, an exception to the rule or but this or but that, yeah. except for keeping your moms too long. Yeah. I will say that's never, ever worked out for me once. Questions from the audience? All right, let's bring it back to Grow World. What do we got here? Nick, I'm going to lean into you. Yeah, and share some pics of those moms in the one gallon. I want to see the roots. We don't, I don't run into ones in mom gallons very often. Throw them in a four by four by four on a slab and you'll have much better results. Like, and it'll yeah. take up the same space. Yeah, because like I, yeah, I actually just saw that tech for the first time a couple months ago and I was like, that's brilliant. They also throw them out after like six weeks. So keeping them upright too in a one gallon pot those things are going to yeah. be top heavy <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's the problem i've run into quite a bit but if you're cropping them through in the same time you'd be using like you know a hugo yeah. let's say yeah it is reasonable um if i have a room like that where i'm never clearing it out though i do prefer rock wool a little bit just because yeah. it's, it's slightly less cleaning yeah. 
I, I thought it was the craziest thing putting moms in Rockwell, but it's I, I, I get it. If you're not keeping them too long, six I, six my, to eight weeks, like if that's all man, they're getting, turn like them burn them. Yeah. yeah. Get, get rid of them before they're unmanageable, and then you're doing yourself favors just keeping yeah. that as fresh as possible. And they're like solid on the slab. Like they're not tipping over on the slab. Yeah. You Much know? more stable. Yeah, way more stable. And they're not playing dominoes when you spray them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, they're moving together like a hedge. Yeah, yeah. Support. All right, guys, other. we got a question coming back to under canopy. How much does cost? How much does the cost per gram change with under canopy lighting? Also, how much extra yield on average do you get with under canopy? Um, pretty much average is uh, twenty-five to thirty-five percent on first-time users, um, and that's been. I, I don't have any issue saying that in public multiple times, just because it's been the feedback every single time. Like Kevin, I'll tell you. Um, what was the first question? The, what was the cost per? Yeah, like the average cost to, to run. Yes. Um, He's looking for the price premium. Yeah. Like, you know, are you getting two to three hundred dollars more a pound? And maybe that boils down to like, are are you getting the purple mature bud? Is this more of an oh A versus gosh, B yeah. grade ratio? You know. Yeah, yeah and um, there's a ton of metrics that I can't. Sorry, metrics a bad word. There's a ton of variables that I can't <laughs> that I can't quantify because it's different facility to facility, um, and like I can't I can't quantify like the difference between a, a pound of purple bee buds and the difference between a pound of or like green bee buds, right? That's like green bee buds are like 500 bucks. Purple, like 700, right? So that $200 difference, like that's more than 200 bucks. Like that is almost 40% increase, right? That's massive, especially because of bees are, which you shouldn't have very many bees, between five and 10% using under canopy, really closer to 5%. Um, you know, I, I can't quantify that because it changes every facility. Um, if you're a brand, there's a ratio between you have a bulk pound that weighs 454 grams with 128 eighths in it. How many of those 128 eighths actually make it into a branded bag or jar and sold for premium? I'd say the industry standard is about 70%, 75% of that bulk pound makes it into a jar getting premium numbers. With under canopy, you're seeing those numbers closer to 90 to 95%, right? So way less material getting sold at less desirable prices, right? Um, so it's hard to quantify just because yield is, yield is very easy, right? I get the yield numbers every morning. I have a couple texts or a couple DMs like, dude, I just set my record like way by far. Or like, you know, my two lighter did this, my 200 lighter did this. Like it's every morning I'm getting these texts now. Uh, and it's great, it's the best feeling ever. But what, what really is, is the, another driver is the purple, right, fetching that extra dollar, running candy genetics that don't really yield, but they actually do really, really well with under canopy because they actually throw a lot of bud sites. We just have to clear them up so high because the, the, if it doesn't receive light, it doesn't even turn into a bee bud. It's like larf. It's like growing sour diesel back in the day. It's straight larf under there. So if you add any kind of light, you're getting way more on these candy genetics. Like candy genetics are probably the ones that I've seen the biggest yield increases on, like by far. Skittles, crazy. Like just, that was crazy numbers, uh, crazy change. Um, so it's really hard to quantify past the yield because it changes to facility to facility or grower to grower, but um, I can tell you it's not hurting your smoke quality and it's not hurting your 
your look and it's not it's not hurting your terps it's only making everything better okay jim what do you think another question from youtube i do this is actually for for seth and jason somebody wanted to know the difference between our new sensors so the terrace one terrace one versus the terrace 12 what are the differences Guess everybody wants to know this. Uh, so other than the name, obviously, we've got some physical differences with the sensors. Uh, the Teros 1, it's only got two prongs. It's using a completely different measuring uh, method. The Teros 12 is a capacitance measurement, and the Teros 1 is a complex dielectric measurement. And so uh, basically what that's done is allowed us to consolidate it, you know, make the sensor a little bit physically smaller. It's round, so it's actually quite a bit easier to install the through hard pots, uh, which has been kind of a challenge with Teros 12s. Uh, a lot of times when I go into a facility, um, maybe might be new with the system, they just got them stuck through the hard pot and there's air on the prongs. Definitely uh, not something we want to be seeing as far as getting accurate measurements. Um, so th those are kind of the, the baseline differences as far as when we're looking at the sensor, this is how it operates. Um, the real big advantage of it is that Teros 1s can be more accurate. And this is going to be especially important when we get into lower water contents. Um, so when we see water contents in that you know less than 20% range, sometimes less than 25% range, every once in a while we'll see those ECs start to, to really climb up. And some of that's basically a side effect of the Teros 12, um, just trying to basically estimate what those ECs are. You know, it's still been the best sensor on the market for the time being. And, uh, you know, like, like most people that are very determined, the best keeps getting better. And that's what's happened with the Teros 1, is we've developed a new sensing technology that when even when we're in really low water contents, maybe we're pushing extremely hard generative signals, um, it's going to maintain extremely high EC accuracy. Is there a rebate program if I want to trade in my Teros 12s for a Teros 1? Yeah, there, there absolutely is, and it's super easy. You just go on the web page there in the web store, and um, you know, tell us how many you want to trade in, and it'll get the process started. I thought you were joking. That's real. That's true. Yeah, it's live on the website. It's, it's any condition. Um, Terrace twelve with with you can either do Terrace twelve only, Terrace twelve with the nose. So there's lots of options depending what um, condition your equipment's in. We'll we'll take anything back as long as you're existing customer, and um, really we want to do it because. One, we want to help our, our clients, we want to help our growers be encouraged to have the best technology on the market, right? The reason that we do this is to help the, the people we work with become as competitive as possible in this industry and optimize nice. the way that they're growing. They, they love growing, they want to be the best growers, and you know, as humans, the reason that we're here is because we've evolved and learned to use tools. So as much as I love just reading what the plant does and says, I can't do it as well as sometimes things like electronics can do it. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite things that I talk about when I first started, I think, I, using the Terrace 12, I looked at the graph and I thought, man, this is this is exactly like the electrocardiograph in in the medical industry. Um, and you know, that's the good old tick tick tick, you know, of the heartbeat on the monitor. And I thought, man, it, you know, I. Sure, I could have my ear next to the person's heart and, and, and see, like, all right, this is a fairly decent arrhythmia um, or rhythmic action, whatever they call it. I don't know medical that good. Um, 
or you know we could set up a computer that's recording it and it's catching anytime that it's unexpected it's catching the highs the lows the durations um, the differences in those beats we can set alarms on it so when someone's going into cardiac arrest uh, we can get some uh, hospital staff in there uh, and it's not that much different as far as when we're operating a cultivation facility these are our living living plants and their conditions are always changing and so that was one of the things that kind of opened my eyes up is like hey I, I can learn way more about this plant by you know understanding things that I can't see rather than just the things that I can see um, and a lot of times the issues that we're dealing with that we can see they're actually showing up because of a problem that has already occurred and so if we can catch a problem earlier than that, we're, we're, made, we're way more likely to have a happy crop. What other questions? Right back here. And guys, I am cognizant of the time. We're eight minutes past the hour mark. So we're gonna wrap this up probably in the next 10, 15 minutes. Cool. My name's Josh, I'm the director of sales for BioAg. Uh, how many sensors uh, do you recommend per how, how many square foot? How do you decide how many sensors you need? Uh, typically, we go one substrate sensor per 100 square feet, and usually around you know 1,000 to 1,500 square feet on a climate sensor. Okay. Um, it depends on how big your rows are. You know, we, that's that's a general rule of thumb. We'll go plus or minus. Uh, if you've got a room that has really, really variable conditions in it, or like a pretty hard gradient front to back, like an old school greenhouse, yeah. then we might kind of up that in certain parts of the greenhouse to see like, hey, are we really are we 10% different on average from the front of the room to the back of the room? and try to start capturing some of that and figuring out, okay, what are we gonna do about that? Uh, as someone who's never used one of these systems, is there one sensor that works for all mediums and substrates? Or is there like one for rock wool and one for cocoa or one for organic versus one for mineral fertilizer? Or is there just one that does it all? It's one that does it all. Cool. And that's actually an advantage of the Terrest one that I forgot to mention. We are launching um, substrate-specific calibrations for the Terrest one. Um, so on the right dashboard, you can select what media type you have, which will actually slightly increase the, the accuracy because it's not a generalized subs, uh, soilless substrate calibration. With media-specific calibration, it makes me think about genetic-specific recipes and what we kind of tapped on earlier about this conversation. And Brad, I, I know we had that conversation as well. Having a baseline for, let's just say, small bud trait cultivars. Right, is that something that we can deploy at scale through the Arroyo platform coming up in the future or maybe even today? Yeah, absolutely. And um, actually for years, some of our most advanced clients have been doing exactly this. Um, you know, not necessarily for the small bud traits that you're talking about, but in, in application, it's not much different. So when we look at uh, harvest groups in Arroyo, um, basically that operates on a, a template that you can set up. And that template is going to dictate things like irrigation patterns, um, you know, temperature set points that we want to hit. Uh, it's going to be talking about how long we're doing different steering strategies. Um, it's going to be able to include any specific tasking or pest management that might be for that strain to optimize it. Um, and, and those templates are, are awesome. You can copy and paste them, tweak them, be like, hey, this is version one. You can get that baseline that we were talking about. And then you can start to go one different way with it or two different ways, to, you know, depending on how many R&D type rooms that you might be working off or, or how, how risky you are. I 
always, always agree with Tim on the only try to change one variable at a time um, and do your best to document that, both what your input variable change was and what your outcome difference was. Um, you know, tying those two in together is, is very, very important. So, you know, really how that happens in Arroyo is by grabbing the data for every run, let's attribute it to how we tried to grow it. Um, and I think this is probably one of the interesting things that, that is very special about cannabis cultivation is there's always this template that this is how we wanted to grow it, right? And like, yeah, we can get very close to that most of the time, but there's, for the best growers, there's always just that one little thing that's like, ah, that one didn't come quite right. Um, and every once in a while, it actually comes out better. And if you have it documented, you understand, well, when, you know, that the one dehumidifier was was off, it, it grew a little bit better. How, you know, what was the difference in our VPD? Was it just slightly lower towards the beginning of the harvest cycle? Um, you know, and, and uh, obviously Aurora's counting what day of the cycle that you're in to try and keep track that you don't lose a day because it's written on a whiteboard, any of that type of stuff. Um, for our multi-state operators, they're able to share those recipes across their different facilities. So, you know, we've got clients in the one dozen, two dozen facilities um, within Arroyo all the way across the United States. And they're able to, one, share what those templates are, and they can also share um, the performance of those facilities. So are those templates working for the facility? What facility do I need to put more energy into you know, yeah, hey, this maybe this one's got a new grower that just just needs a, a tad bit more education on, on on the things that standardize our company. Standardization, right? Trusted, verified genetics with irrigation recipes attached to that. You copy and paste that across your facilities. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's just a huge upgrade from when you used to buy a pack of seeds and it says, you know, sixty to seventy days heavy, medium, light feeder. You know, <laughs> but the more information you can get, you know, like if you're a breeder or someone distributing genetics, even if the way you didn't grow it was some way you considered perfect, you can at least show them how to replicate those results. They can always improve from there, but just giving people that baseline because right now there's so many genetics out there and any information coming into your facility to really try to cut down on that learning curve and really reduce that time it takes. You know, they used to say it'd take like six to eight runs to really nail something if I was taking good notes and didn't, you know, didn't have sensors. With sensors, I can get that down to closer to two if I've already got really dialed SOPs in my facility. If I'm, all I'm really adjusting is my steering strategies a little bit, and then, you know, obviously a few other things to monitor it. But generally, you know, I'm not doing anything too wild with my environment. You know, if I had a strain that required me to grow it at 2.6 VPD, you know, the whole time in order for it to perform halfway as decently, I know that's not, like, can I grow a whole room of that? And if so, it better yield really well because I know everything else in the room is going to be awful. Like, you know, we, we already have limitations in that respect that we work off of. So it's, I, I think what I've learned over the past few years is dialing specific strains is so much, not only so much easier, but is so easy if you have good data where you can just say, look, here's what happened. You apply whatever theory you want to it. I don't care. But if you can do this, this should be your result. And it works more than it doesn't. My, micro changes. That was one of my biggest takeaways during the candy discussion we had in Vegas was instead of waiting, you know, until day 21 to start bulking, bring that back to like day 15, 16, 17, you know, cultivar and facility specific. But now you're actually getting those bud sets starting to chunk up a little bit earlier and you're starting to hit 80 grams a square foot with these small runs crosses or whatever you might be 
dealing with on the candy. Oh, yeah. And like I always say, dude, every round is a learning experience. So even if you had one where you thought like, oh, man, like, you know, the wrong person went away for the weekend. We started bulking six days early on this strain and we've never done that before. Just because you've never done it before doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be a bad result. On some strains, it might be. But every once in a while, you're going to run into something that does contradict the rule a little bit. And it's just really important to know that you have that exception on that strain, you know? Like an old example I'd use is uh, just a classic ice cream cake cut. You know, when you're trying to teach people to go prune in the greenhouse, like, hey, don't, don't hit this one as hard. Like, why? Well, it, it still fills out really good down low for us. We don't want to throw... All these other plants in here, yeah, go really hard on them, but this one, leave it. And you'd always get one per whoever the newer person was trying to do a good job and copy the other ones. And you'd have to be like, you know, try to edge them in and say, hey, there is always an exception to the rule. Hopefully not as many as you might think there are, but like, this is just kind of, we got to pay attention to this stuff. It's important. And one of the main reasons why I asked about that, thank you for elaborating on the templates and they've been in system or available to us. It's de-risking, right? When you're bringing on new genetics, when you're starting to copy and paste these across multiple facilities, it's de-risking the, un the understanding and the information that's already available for us. So small changes, right? Tim, micro changes, macro results. Guys, we're getting close to the time here. Any other questions from the crowd? Right back here. Name and where are you from, sir? My name is uh, Jason. I'm from Iconic, based locally here in Sacramento. My question for you guys is, have you seen any salt, no, not necessarily salt, but like high EC stress resulting in uh, herming? And at what levels do you start to see that? Because we're pushing pretty high EC in our feed, and I just am concerned about some herming that may be happening. Do you have any experience with that? I'm sure you probably do. You know, I've been astonished by how high of an EC that the plant can be dried down to. Um, that being said, it is very important that that EC gets to a certain level of reset on your irrigations. Um, you know, so the substrate EC ranges that I, you know I'm pretty comfortable with in vegetative stages. Um, you know, like flowering vegetative stages, like five decisiemens to eight decisiemens per meter. Um, and for generative, you know, I like to be floating in that six, seven, uh, all the way, like, as the low point. Um, and I'll see spikes in the 12 plus, 15 maybe range. Um, as long as it's not floating up in those ranges, I, I don't usually associate that with uh, plant stressors. Yeah, typically what I've noticed is when we hit those high EC marks, a lot of times there's a few things that happen. Number one, we're pushing these drybacks really far. Depending on the media, we're doing a little bit of extra stress there. And then also, um, if we're not managing that correctly, we're also not managing pH. So when we're taking a plant, like, you know, traditionally if we had something with a little bit of CEC in it, cation exchange capacity, kind of an old school soil, we would kind of want to flush out some of the residual nutrients that were bound up in there. Um, if you do that in your hydroponic media too quickly, you know, you're running a, let's say a 3.0 and you don't ramp it down and manage your pH down, uh, you're really shocking those roots osmotically and possibly with a big pH shift. And that's a huge stressor on the plant. At that point, it suddenly goes from having a nice cushy life to an okay life to a, all right, we're dying now. 
And that's, that's when I've seen uh, late flower stamens popping out and those late flower herms. Now, if you're getting, you know, actual pollen sacs, like week two, we're, we're talking about a whole different game here. Yeah, and um, not every nutrient line was meant to run at high ECs. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. Low EC is, there's something to it. You need to dial in your rooms accordingly. Like, if you're pushing high EC, you probably, like, if you're, if you're hitting some numbers and it's a line that's not, like, on their feeding chart, like, hey, feed this, like, you're probably messing up there. Like, make sure the line can handle being ran that high. Because there are a lot of liquids on the market that you're not supposed to run that high. Yeah. Just a heads up. Your yeah, question? I think definitely, take, definitely take my answer with a, a grain of salt, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I can add to that a little bit, too. Uh, I've seen... Um, uh, what I would believe would be herms from high EC, but mainly on seed, on seed plants, not clones. So I, we run a lot of seed plants and clones side by side, and they'll get the same, same feed, and we'll have a bit more high likelihood to have herms, and sometimes that redo them in a clone sense, and I will not have, and I won't have um, the same problem. So I think the little bit of the instability of an initial seed, um, you could get some herming and, and Kev out of curiosity how many seeds are you hunting per month in your in your facility uh, we slowed down a little bit in the last few months but for a while there we were probably 200 a month 300 a month probably somewhere in there go ahead Seth I was gonna say that kind of highlights too why we're not all popping seeds all the time you know it's just a nightmare to keep everything somewhat consistent and even even really trial things when you're hunting too, diff too many different phenos you can't get a you know even expression no, not at all. And that's why I said I, I feel like it's probably, probably the high EC, but there's so many variables with those the, the oh, yeah, initial your, seeds. Your plant heights are all over the place with yep. the seeds. You've got way different you know, leaf area indexes on different plants. Their, their needs are all so different that it's almost impossible to manage them yep. efficiently together. Yeah, although I, what I will say, you put them in a commercial um, environment, which is, is kind of nice sometimes because you can see what can handle that your your growing environment that the rest of the plants are getting so that's kind of a plus um obviously you do have to have some herm assessment and have a good team because you don't want your whole room seeded so um but it is it is nice you kind of get a jump on what plants can kind of handle your situation oh yeah never build your r&d room to be a ferrari like build it just as shitty as the rest of your facility that's right <laughs> that sounds negative but like you know, you, you want to be able to stop, you know, if you see something that, like, you know, I've seen people now that are struggling with certain plants moving from HPS to LED, like, hey, they're herming, and they're herming early now. That's like, do we know exactly what that is? Mm, not always. But that tells you you can't run it the way you're running it, for sure. So take that off the list right away, you know. you got to live within your limitations. It's not worth seeding out a room. And you're not going to be able to run the crop efficiently enough. To, you're you're going to lose yield at the end of the day trying to accommodate this and put way more money in than it's worth to get it out, even if it is, you know, the most amazing, heavy yielding. If it ruins a room, it ruins a room. You're growing for the mass, the mass of the room, you know. Yeah. You're not, not one, like you said earlier, not one little, one variety that just kills it. Yeah, and unfortunately in the market, the grower's opinion, you got to go with what people want. You know, you can try to spearhead that to an extent, but you got to let the numbers steer you, and then you got to realize the limitations. Yeah, we don't matter anymore. Has. No. Yeah, we, it doesn't matter what we think no. anymore. Just because I like it doesn't mean anyone's going to buy it. <laughs> nope. 
All right, guys, let's, uh, let's do a couple of roundups. Keisha, let's get into the raffle, right? Let's do that. So this is where somebody that entered the raffle for tonight for showing up. Thank you guys for showing up. Um, Keisha is going to pull a lucky winner for an Arroyo Go system. Badass. Thank you, Arroyo, for that. That's really cool. So while we're coming back to this, um, I also want to come back to the Grow World platform because somebody that uh, had the most upvotes on their question, if we didn't get that asked, Anthony, can we check that out? They're going to win a Solus. Uh, Faven is on Grow World as well. So if you guys don't know what Grow World is, check it out. It's a really cool platform where companies can get in touch directly to cultivators, sign them up for a trial. Um, Grow World kind of handles all of that, and it's it's a really really chill platform. Like I I kind of didn't know about it at first, and then sat down with the with the creator Nick, and he's been um, he's got a good vision. So Faven is on Grow World. Oh, perfect. Oh, this just in. We're going to do a live Solus winner tonight, too. Awesome. So, Keisha, why don't you go ahead and start us off, and I'm going to work on Grow World. Okay. We ready? So I'm going to pull the winner of the Solus. Actually, Jason, do the honor. Winner of the Solus. Drum roll. Uh, Ignacio Garcia. 500 or 5,000 Mac Road. <laughs> We're going to reach out to Ignacio, let him know he won a Solus. <laughs> All right. Who's ready? Seth, you want to pull our Arroyo Go winner? Mark Mazzatelli. M A Z Z I T E L N. Sound familiar? Matt? No, Matt? All right. Mark. Mark. Mark? We'll let Mark know he won. We'll reach out to him and let him know. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations to Ignacio. He's got a handwriting like mine, so. You just got to own that. Okay, so you do have his information. We're good. Okay, perfect. This just in, we have another raffle going off tonight. Shout out to Athena for the tissue culture kit that they're giving out for one lucky winner that got to enter into this. So, Tim, would you like to do the honors? Stephanie Shepard. Stephanie Shepard. What up, Stephanie? You just won an Athena tissue culture kit. Congratulations. Thank you, Athena. It pays to come to the Connect, guys. That's all I can say. Perfect. Okay, so, Anthony, do we have the Grow World winner? Let's see what we got. We got another winner? Okay, and our winner for the best question on Grow World, who will be taking home as Solus, Bridger Morgan, with the question was. Oh, it was the cost per gram square or cost per gram square foot on under canopy. So, Bridger, congratulations, Bridger. Yes. 
Yep. Okay. We got it. Oh, beautiful. Excellent. Hey. Yes. We got a little bit of swag out in the front, t-shirts and hats if anybody wants some. But Sergio, thank you so much for having us here. Thanks, this Serge. Was amazing. Yeah. You guys crushed it. Thank Very you guys cool. for coming out. Thank you, Serge. This yeah, has been awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you on Grow World, on Arroyo Office Hours Live. Thank you, guys. Let's grow together. Much love. Sunglasses next time. Yeah. Blinding us. Stage was not as bad. Yeah. I was like, we're just all gonna look squinty and stuff. Yeah. Yes. I already did. I already did. Give me one of these too. Yes. Yes. Good job, y'all. Yeah, next time, we're going to work that way. That was fun, huh? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.